0: Bookworm Games, Episode 50, The Best Way to Calm the Heart With the destruction of the Third Gate, the imperial capital of Solaris becomes visible. Not floating free like Shivat, it appears to still be connected to its own narrow version of the Tower of Babel, still rooted in the ocean, arms extending like an old collapsible antenna way up near the edge of the atmosphere. What strange frequencies and messages await us in this menacing transmitter? Before actually going in to find out, there's this series of preliminaries we should look at, focusing mainly on Satan. He's been the party's chief strategist all along, and secretly been working in concert with the emperor, but his motivations and allegiances will finally be brought out into the open at this critical stage of the adventure. His plan suggested first by Queen Zephyr, is to have Maria break through the weakened barrier so they can destroy the final gate generator, just as Dominia attempted to do in Shavat. Ellie will be their guide, and Faye insists on accompanying her. Meanwhile, the rest of the party will split up and aid in some unspecified way in the assault, as will Maria and the Shavat forces once the gate is completely down. They go upstairs that Belvedere made for just such dramatic conversations. Satan and Yui, they share their moving goodbye. She knows he will be hurt, and that they, Faye, and the others will too. Presumably by the revelation of truths, she already knows. And Satan, though pained by this, is resolved on his path. He also alludes to the possibility of being overcome by the dark side, suggesting he is prepared for that too. She gives him his sword now, as if he weren't already overpowered enough, and implores him to come back alive. He bids her take care of Midori, as if Yui hadn't done so faithfully all along. In short, they illustrate a relationship where mutual understanding transcends spoken language, where the expression of feeling is, like their daughter's strange powers, seemingly telepathic. It's worth noting some of the meanings of their names here, too. Midori means green, it appears, and Yui has a range of meanings, including reason, link, robe, only. A corresponding leave-taking follows on the heels of Satan's departure from his wife. His old friend Jesse steps out of the shadows and promises to take him out if he betrays them. This indeed seems to be exactly what Satan is counting on. A cool, energetic sequence follows, punching through the barrier, cradled in the arms of Saizane. We arrive in one of Solaris's outer spokes, upside down. Weirdly, gravity is reversed here, unmistakably an illustration of the topsy-turvy world of the Solaris outlook. A hexagonal pod... Fay is blithely inspecting, takes him for a ride into the lower levels of the city directly. They're laid out like honeycombs. I think we've even seen a glimpse of this area before when Satan and Sigurd were first coming clean about the past. Our first impression of the place, despite its orderly facade, is marked by despair and death precisely because of the oppressive order, it seems. One of the workers has been driven to suicidal resistance. He calls out the others for working like machines, having no will of their own until that is the security bots converge on him and chuck him into the abyss of what seems to be that central support although shouldn't he fall upwards with respect to the surface anyhow, the immediate comparison that comes to mind is the prison block in Kislev which despite its grime and steam looks comparatively wholesome now Everyone is still talking about the rebel, worrying if it will mean re-education, what they call rearrangement for the whole group. Their responses range from annoyance to chagrin, as some even take pride in their work, to sympathetic despair, imploring God, if he's there, to help them. There is another rumor, too, though. A young man, whom Faye mistakes at first for Timothy, Alice's betrothed and his friend, recognizes him, too. The brainwashing didn't take. This young man still remembers Faye from the tournament in Ave. Samson, he calls himself. So was it his hair that you won from one of those battles? He also lets you know there's a female Gebler officer who, with her auburn hair, must be Ellie. that's been looking for someone. For Faye, of course. Finding her in one of the pods, she explains she's been to this area before on a field trip, of all things that Satan has gone on his own via another pod to one of the other worker bee hubs, and the others are under Jessie's guidance somewhere else. We see the truth of her insistence on being subtle. As the escape plan comes together, dodging through the maze to the main levels, riding elevators up and down, Samson's confidence in his underground tech proves to be unfounded. He gets vaporized by the detector despite his rewritten ID card. As Ellie says, they know everyone's info on the level of DNA here. But by sticking close to her somehow, it doesn't pick up on Faye's presence. Nor does it register her as a traitor. They can only conjecture that's because Gebler wouldn't want to disclose her defection. Taken together, though, it's almost as if we're being allowed into Solaris. Samson, for all of his care and planning, had no such luck. Brazenly facing down the guard's challenge up at the top, pulling rank, Ellie offers no further direction at the moment, leaving you free to explore the shopping district, with its derpy music going round and round, just like Big Joe's dancing moves. In another run through this area later without Ellie, Big Joe will be the only one there that Faye can understand. A one, two, three, four... The kids are all excited about pogo shoes. There's a poster of Tifa from Final Fantasy VII in one room. There's a mini-gear flying around. The shopping district, full of imperial commodities and knockoffs, the highways busy but orderly. We have a picture here of prosperous and vapid capitalism. For all the fascist trappings and the higher-ups' grandiose aims, the people seem enslaved mostly by their own comforts and small-mindedness. One fellow remarks that memory cubes send data to the central control bureau for their peace of mind, and that those memory cubes we've found on the surface must be another mode of data collection. He's heard they're strewn about down on the ground. This puts the player uneasily in the place of the bureaucrats themselves, just as we've just been made to feel, perhaps, our affinity for the commodity-driven citizens of Solaris, delighting in our own mini-gears, flight, and battles, that of Veltal and the rest, and of that toy we stole from the guard in Kislev. I wonder if there would have been more mini-games here, designed to be played like the flare uh, fair in Bledovic or back at the arena in Nortune, originally, before they ran out of time and money. For all the buildup, our experience of Solaris' dystopian capital city turns out to be rather thin and brief. An old woman gives you young people tickets to the emperor's speech in the plaza, where, amid fireworks and the appropriation of some uplifting themes, we've grown to love, it's jarring to hear them in this setting. And with the roars of the crowd and holograms of Bart and the others, it turns out they've been captured. The dedication speech promises the return to God's paradise, mehanan. It's framed as an all-or-nothing struggle with those lambs, in which the chosen children of Cain are sure to triumph. Ellie seems to be hypnotized by the emperor's words and by the spectacle. While it's Krellian's surprise appearance, which triggers a series of flashbacks for Fay. As Lacan, he and Krellian, with a little more color in his hair, a little more spring in his step, meet in Nisan, and then in a lab. They speak of their diverging paths amid the threat of war with Solaris. Lacan is drifting towards his painting, Krellian, drawn towards studying with Melchior, the third of the sages of Shavat, both of them. It seems, love Sophia, and they're chiefly motivated by her. Back in the present, Ellie translates, The destruction of the gates is recast as part of the emperor's plan all along, which might well be true if Krellian did hold back his minion from fighting alongside Emeralda to observe instead the battle at the third gate. At this point, the display of the captured invaders prompts Faye to cry out. Despite Ellie's warnings, he causes a scene, upbraiding her for what was in fact his own carelessness, and demanding that they reach Satan somehow, who, like us, must be watching the broadcast from somewhere nearby. In escaping from the security guards and the whooshing bots, easily dispatched as they catch up from behind in the pristine sewers, the two of them surface again at the gates of a spacious estate. This, it turns out, is Ellie's house. The pursuit abruptly ceases. A fairy-tale peacefulness replaces the frantic chase, a brittle tranquility embodied in Ellie's mother, Medina, who can't help but doubt her daughter's cover story, especially with Fay clumsily undermining it even as Ellie utters it. But Medina does seem genuinely relieved to see her daughter and genuinely to wish for more than this awkwardness between them. And to excuse Fay a little here, it must be truly a shock for him to realize this is where Ellie comes from. This is the kind of place that is home for her and that she has resisted giving up despite his persuasion all along. Such grandeur is natural and normal to her, but not to He Thinks back to the village chiefs for a comparison. The strangeness is condensed in the image of the shower in the middle of the bedroom. Much better, he remarks, than Doc's old tub. They are naked before one another, if veiled by the steam. The scene is driven by Ellie, who insists now and continues to act as if this is completely normal, as if the urgency of their mission has faded or can wait a while. She even confesses her own doubts about her parentage, that the maid who raised her, the surface dweller her father saved, must have been her real mother. Her father's room, forbidden like the room in the fairy tale castle. Her mother warns her again, but does not actually keep her out. She's going shopping, of course. Her father's room is where they can access the central network and find out where their friends are being held and how to reach them. The password, her name spelled backwards, is supposed to sound like Miang's name in the original language of the game, I think. Inevitably, her father, Eric, comes home and confronts Ellie there. Ellie steps between him and Faye, trying to protect him from being treated as an intruder. but. She overreaches in throwing her belief about the maid being her mother, throwing it in his face. And it turns out Medina hears it too, listening by the doorway. From protector, Ellie must be protected again, as Faye insists that she make amends with her parents, that she let him go on his own to rescue the others. The reversal is abrupt and yet not entire. He tells her once more to leave the military, even though he does not want her to come with him this time. He wants her to go home. Naive and clumsy as he's been throughout this whole sequence, this move at least seems to work, gaining her parents' respect, beginning to heal the rift between them and Ellie, whom they thought they had lost. And who better than Fay could understand the yearning for a relationship of, with one's parents? So he departs, not understanding Solaris' language, if you try talking to the people again, it's rendered as a mishmash of symbols. Until Fay is apprehended at the checkpoint by a soldier whose speech he can understand, who turns out to be Satan. Once more, accompanied across the censor by staying close to his friend's body, even Fay doubts now how the vaunted Solarian tech could be fooled. Satan's hearty laugh here strongly hints that he knows he's about to be outed for all his own emphasis on subtlety, echoing Ellie's admonishments to Fay, The argument that almost got them captured in the plaza about not having a plan is raised again humorously, like it was back on the Goliath, as Satan himself has no idea what to do when they arrive at the dust chute, and he can't figure it out somehow this time as he did back in the Goliath. And then Ellie herself drops down to the rescue. We cut back to her view now. In a retrospective mood that we'll see much more of in disc two, we see after Faye had gone and she was crying in her room, Medina came to give Ellie her blessing to go help her friends, forgiving and letting go of what Ellie had said before. The current maid gives her a more concrete gift her ultimate weapon, the Psycho Rod. And then, with the arrival of the Imperial Guard on Krellian's orders to detain Ellie, Eric, who echoes his wife's sentiments, to be human is to choose your own path. Eric has to choose defiance of the most powerful factions of the society he has served all his life to make room for his daughter to escape. Fay, unbelievably, it's all for going back to fight alongside her parents, but that would be to squander their sacrifice. And so, with a last beat of humor on that old bathtub of the docks, the trio are sucked up into the trash chute. This will be the last sustained exploration portion of the game. And it starts with another symbolic moment here. Down in the garbage heap. Dust chute to Dust. It will only take on its full significance once we get the rest of Ramses' story. The obstacles here are, again, the Solaris tech, the fan which blocks your way until you jam it, the doors which won't open until you push the right switches and codes, including some audio ones, the conveyor belts of the Soylent factory before reaching the lab proper. Sitan, bizarrely, allows his friends to eat the food they find, even knowing what it is. A minor echo of their time is cast before being picked up by the Thames and being introduced to Vels, Reapers, and a glance at that odd fixation which the game has had all along with food and weight. But then we see where the food is processed, made out of the bodies of people, mutants, hence the name Soylent. The Vels are generated here, as well as the medicine, artificially limiting even the Solarian's own abilities. Dominia's home was entirely consumed in its service. Maria's father was forced to develop it further into weapon systems. And Ellie's father was in charge of the whole thing. As shocking as that is for her, Faye's flashback to some sort of experiment conducted on himself as a child is also triggered by these revelations. Perhaps it was to ensure that they land with maximum force that Satan allowed them to have that last meal in ignorance just before. Curiously, Satan asks himself here too, if what they did is permissible, with overtones of the language of communion blended with that motif of killing God. Then in Krellian's lap, further revelations and ominous hints punctuate the enormous dungeon. The memory cubes, filling a room, confirm what we'd suspected. The Omnigir, suspended in water or some liquid, references again some encounter that Eli is supposed to have had with one in Shavat, though we never saw that take place. The enemies include orphans and undead wells, Some of them talking to you from their cages, reminding you who they were in life. The Kislev soldier who'd adopted the dog from Lahan. And in the rush of battles, in those containment rooms are the Bloody Brothers, like Redrum and the boss of the ghost ship paired up to challenge you once more. There's also more guards and bots to beat up on, building up by now to unlock the elemental combos for each of your core characters. More doors and codes and corridors, symmetries and straight-up repeats of elaborate experimental rooms, chests full of good items and armor, and more holograms of your party, with data about some sort of percentage, until finally Faye asks what this place is, and Satan, who knew yet another code to get through a locked door, begins to explain. In these labyrinths of sameness, the longevity experiments of the emperor and his ministry are carried out, hidden from view. For all of the 10,000 years of human existence on this planet, they have preserved themselves and created offspring. The ministry, only as data since the war and the Diabolos invasion 500 years ago, the emperor in his ancient flesh, they have lived on in recycled bodies, and learn from the data gathered by the living. Ellie points out the crucial follow-up to Faye's question. How can Satan know all this? And why, knowing it, did he bring them all this way? Who is he? Before he answers, Satan does one of his thinking poses. Those pregnant pauses, like those countless ellipses deployed throughout the text narration of the game, which invite our own thinking and build suspense. And the lights go out. Ellie and Satan are gone. They do not answer, when Faye calls. In the dark, he comes to a room with panels covering all its walls, and the door closing behind him completes the immersion into light and color, overwhelming him. As if the screen of a TV were inverted, folded back on itself, the character within it crushed with self-consciousness, a fourth wall reflecting him on every side. Faye comes too, bound in the midst of the room, images of Veltal in Lahan and Id's red gear illuminated, alternating, the voices of the ministry intoning, you brought about this spectacle, that voice is the one which haunts you, cursed, untouchable one. O God's beloved child, those who prevent our prayers, get, destroy, burn with God's fire. The images of Satan and his friends come next. Of them, the voices say, "Heyuga Rikdu, guardian angel, guiding and monitoring Faye all along. And these others, the animus, selected drawn to Fey, needed for the minister's resurrection. Preliminary in turn to raising Mahanan, aerial paradise, as Fei calls it, and it in turn will teach them how to raise God. This is the Malach, the M project. The reason for it all, they explain, is that their origins are beyond this world out in that universe they would return to once they've accomplished their plans. Krellian, next, says the only thing left is the awakening of this one, namely Ellie. The scene shifts to the two of them, Krellian in full arch-villain mode, expounding upon his plan, now in its last phases, and denigrating the fools who surround him. Ellie's power, manifested itself fully in the episode at Jugend. That was not just a response to the enhancement drugs, but was the awakening of her other inner self, he says. She's different, not just from the others in the military, but is on another plane even than her friends, those animus so prized by the elders. She's paralleled insistently throughout this solaris sequence, with Fay, in fact. And it has something to do with nanotechnology, that advanced sort provided by Emeralda, their daughter. That level of nanotechnology equal to the intricacy of nature's own creation, tracing back to the first organism, that from which all of them are the progeny, as he puts it. In that technology, beyond Solar own, though older than it by far, Kerlian has discovered data that should not have existed in the introns of the DNA, a wave frequency he was expecting, illustrated as the Orobolus ring, which explains Miang and Lacan, and Ellie herself explains her as the mother. But none of this is fully explained yet. And yet, it carries Kerlian's admiration of her beauty, and of nature. His feeling that anatomizing and using it is not quite worthy of the real thing. It's the same as then, as Lacan. And given what we've seen of himself in Lacan, this is enough of an explanation for now, perhaps. Between Fay and Satan, now alone, with nowhere to go, we get a dramatic counterpart to this conversation between Ellie and Krellian. Nerveless, neutralized, Fay nevertheless rages at having been taken in, being used in this way. He wanted a place to belong. That's what they were fighting for. And now Satan presents the cynical rebuttal that it's easier to be given a place than to make one. Didn't he know something simple as that? That childish ideals pale before reality. That individuality is a delusion. That Faye was unable to protect any of them, especially Ellie. And all of this seems calculated on Satan's part to build to addressing id. We cut back down to... Ramses, looking for Fay, demanding Ellie tell him where he is, threatening with a blade at her neck. But she only pities him. Now, I don't know why this chapter is called Tears for Fears, but I like it. Bart and Billy come in to break Fay out, convincing him to listen to Satan once more. The research facility was the only place they could remove another limiter, not like the physical one taken off in Shivat that gave you that seventh all-important elemental death blow point, but a psychological limiter this time that would make them fear the emperor, the ministry, and the like. They came here too because Satan had to deceive the emperor by deceiving Fay and the others, for which he's sorry. And finally, a reason he won't say yet, he came clearly for the colloquy with Id, what the content of that was, is also left out for now. But he discovered some other things in the course of this, that Ellie has no limiter, that Krellion's interest in her particularly, that's new. He draws his sword at last, no longer playing innocent, and he goes off to destroy the gate generator while they free Ellie. There at the gate... Ramses shows up again. We don't get to fight him this time, unfortunately. But Jesse exults, and still, both of them, the old elements are concerned about Ramses' obsession with Fay. We come to a rendezvous room where your entire party awaits, along with Ellie's parents and Hammer who's acting especially shifty. We're introduced to the blue party change point, finally. And, if you put anyone in your party, it'd better be Satan with his sword. It can't be unequipped now. It changes all his death blows to characters, to words, like those his gear produced all along when it hit enemies, and like Graf's chi blasts. At the end of the winding, samey maze, at last, Hammer's betrayal is revealed. In a dramatic juxtaposition, Hammer's reasoning, that he, as a normal guy, without special skills, had no choice but to cut a deal with Krellion. that reasoning is countered by Medina's. She, a normal mother, will overcome any threat or fear to protect her daughter. And appallingly, as she comes forward, he fires on her. She falls, and he flees. We take in what's just when another threat appears. And they convey the same message. Leave the girl. And they make good on it by battle. The boss fight with Graf and the executioner, whether it's due to the removal of the limiter or because of some strategy of their own holding back their true power, the two of them are not by no means so insurmountable now. Satan alone can basically end the fight before they have a chance to do a single combo or cast a single spell. Eric comes in at that point riding a gear and tries to help your escape, only to be hit with one of the Executioner's ether attacks. This, in turn, triggers Ellie's full power. Between them, overwhelming the whole party but Faye. Or rather, Id. Finally, we see the transformation take place in Valtal. It breaks through the Yggdrasol's hull to fly into Solaris. There, below, Ramses waits, sword drawn, only to get wrecked with that ugh noise that we've heard from him before. And time passes. In the aftermath, we see Krellian now and the Executioner on the busted-up remains of the hangar bay. Graf and the others gone. Their debrief is cryptic. They esteem Id. They diss Ramses. They're not terribly worried about the loss of Ellie after all. And we see the truth of one more transformation as Miang swaps in for the masked woman. In this first candid talk between these two mighty beings, even with all we've just learned, what they say remains opaque for now. That Miang fights without hope of victory that Krellian wants her to, that he was induced to feel that way by her. Is the only success, success they speak of Fay. Now, we take on the perspective of Ellie, who did not see Fay transform, and learn firsthand from the others, all of them rescued by Sibson and the Yggdrasil, what just happened. Through their telling, we see the events filled in. Video of Id destroying Solaris, its collapse into the sea and the nuclear explosion narrowly dodged by the Yggdrasil, and then Id's pursuit of the good guys. At that point, Ellie stands up to him. Her readiness to sacrifice somehow restrains his gear and reawakens Fay. the mother indeed. The long debrief is completed by Satan in Shivat. This side of it concerns Fay's psychology, which he elucidates as a case study with evidence given him by the patient himself in a flashback to their interview in the paneled nerve-severing room. Included here for good measure is part of a conversation with Cain, the emperor, calling Fay the contact and Ananelba, the man of God, like Arubalus, Evidently a place where an L and R got mixed up. But anyway, what he means by contact, Satan wonders. Evidently contact with that which will enable him to bring humanity to a new horizon. Dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality. That is Satan's diagnosis. What could be further from the man of God part of his personality then the destroyer of God, also there, perceived and abetted, awakened, but not fully controlled by Graf. Khan, his father, sealed that destroyer personality, Id, and in Lahan, Faye built up his basic persona over top it, but in stress, clearly, that breaks down. Some third, deeper self, called the coward by Id, though evidently feared by him, remains mysterious. Reality and death, Id says. Despite whatever limited hold he has on Faye's body and will, he'll get to Satan in the end. But Satan's prognosis is more favorable. By awakening the fundamental personality, though he doesn't know quite how, the coward, or whatever it might be, could integrate Id and this unformed Fei and do it without these breaks. That unbroken idea we saw mentioned in connection with the Omnigir surface. Shavat's judgment, however, is to freeze fay in carbonite, Han Solo style. Fearing a repeat of Solaris, or of Elru, or of Kislev's sewers, we're finally pinning that on the true culprit, they remove, or rather they resolve to remove, this second advent of Graf, bringer of Diabolus and Ruin, who was once Lacan. This connection comes out in Fay's reunion with Ellie, put off since breaking her out of Krellian's lab. It takes place now down in the dungeons of Shavat, And now it's Ellie who wants to break him out. And finally she persuades him, with a little help from their friends, who apologize for letting him be imprisoned. The flash of the pendant recurs; It has signaled Id's presence before, and now it's keyed to her words of devotion. I'd still be by your side because, 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 I know it's lonely to be by yourself. In the light of the pendant, the woman from his dream of the desert reaches out once more. The disc closes with more villainy, though, and on a note of suspense. From riding off into the sunset together, Faye and Ellie's flight in Veltal turns to one more pursuit. Ramses, empowered with an anima relic, has been sent to bring down Faye and to return Ellie to Krellion. The orb's talk of transmigrating, of probability, Krellion's own emotional attachment to her, suggests that they are all reacting a little desperately to keep their plans afloat at this point. Their survival, though, shows that the elders and Krellion weren't dependent on Solaris' capital for their existence. Where exactly their data is stored remains unclear, And what this key is that they're preparing to use is likewise uncertain. The wyvern gear finally crushes Veltal, not stinting from dealing deadly blow after blow, even after Ellie surrenders. Scoffing and hoping Miang saw his triumph, Ramses shoots away mocking Krelian's orders, which he forgot anyhow. Those orders, laced with that unexpectedly literal word, trash, we'll soon see. But first, in a woods, like where they first met outside Lahan, we see Faye trying to keep Ellie alive, observed by Graf and us. And with that, the first disc ends. Now, I know my discussions here have tended to shift lately away from the poetry I wanted to do and the analysis, and have become a little bit more just of summary, and I apologize for that. But by the same token, I think there's really something to what Krelian says in that flashback in Nissan, 500 years before, that what he's learned from Sophia is that the best way to calm the heart is to read a good book to throw himself into study, to learn from a master. And that's what I think I'm trying to do here with Xenogears, to treat it like a good book, to read it closely and study it. And before I can make any sweeping uh, theories about it, I have to fully, or at least a little better, understand what it is it's doing, its shape, its language, what it's saying. Just get straight, the story before I can see the meaning to it. In so doing, I suppose the danger is that I might end up like Krellian, manipulating and moving around and anatomizing, even as I realize that the better thing to do would be just to admire. And I think that we're beginning to see that his character, parallel to Satan's, contains a little bit more complexity in its motivations and just what his purposes might be. In what remains, I'll again try to get straight the increasingly convoluted and disjunctive storylines. I'll try to put them back together and I'll try not to lose sight of the heart of this story, which is surely Fay and Ellie's relationship. Now, for all that Krellian is inspired by Sophia, And for all that he can see a sort of parallel with himself and Lacan. Lacan's being drawn to his painting in the same way that he's drawn to learning. I think that Lacan and Faye himself might have the better understanding of what Sophia is truly trying to teach. That they, like those normal people, the masses who believe in her, are... Truly animated and calmed, inspired, and uplifted by nothing so much as their love for her. That too comes out more clearly in the second disc for all its flaws, and I want to watch closely for the ways in which Xenogears, more than maybe any other game that it would get lumped in with, does show us to the best of its ability, what a romantic relationship might actually look like. Um, Now, I might regret some of this uh, 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 assumption on my part, based on a recent replay and many years of nostalgia, but I want to at least hold open the possibility that the game really is that good, that unique, and is doing something that important. So, I hope you'll keep listening, put up with what might be a little bit of rehashing at times. hope that there will be some valuable stuff in there too, and that by looking at it once more, we'll get a little closer to the sort of thing that Sophia, Lacan, Krelian, satan And even someone as normal as Hammer or Medina might be trying to show us. Take care.